Amen. Thank you, ladies. Philippians chapter number two. Philippians chapter number two. Song serves as a good reminder to you and I of why we are here. It is good to see you. It is good to come to church. But my friend, it is good to be with the Lord Jesus Christ, isn't it? And to be in his presence, in the presence of our Heavenly Father in this moment, in this time, to come into his house and worship him. If we truly love him, Sundays are our day we get together close to him and spend time in his presence. I hope you look at it as such. Philippians chapter number 2, if you need a Bible, we have what we call a pew Bible there in front of you. It's on page 699 is where that would be located. Philippians chapter number 2, and we'll get to the verse in a moment here. Philippians chapter number 2, verse number 12 is where it is, and uh, hope you find the place and look up this way. Once you find it, that'd be great. Remember back in school, obviously we have teenagers and others, college age that are here now who may already may still be in school, obviously. But do you remember back in school and maybe you were in math class, geometry, algebra, calculus, or lower in math and you, a uh, teacher gave you a math, math problem. Maybe it looks something like one of these up here, all right? Now, some of you will start doing them. Don't do the math problem. They're just examples, okay? Some of you already start writing down that thing. Hey, and then the, the, the teacher gives you the math assignment. They give you the problem. They write it on the board, and, and uh, then they say those dreaded words, show your work. And I remember in school, the groan was audible as it went throughout the whole classroom teacher indicating, hey, do the problem, but show your work. You know what the reality was and why that groan was emanating from that class? Well, the reality was that sometimes the hardest work was not in getting the right answer. It was in showing how you came or arrived at that answer. You know, even today, I, uh, my own children and, and our children here at the school, I hear them lamenting having to show their work. When they're assigned a math problem, when they're assigned a problem to do, especially equations and all that good stuff. I didn't say junk, by the way. I said stuff, okay? All that good stuff. Show your work. And they lament that. I sometimes wonder if teachers, in saying that, show your work, didn't get a clue from Paul in Philippians chapter 2, specifically verse number 12. Look with me there, if you will. Philippians chapter 2, look at verse number 12. It says this, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Great statement. Good challenge, really. And uh, I want us to see three things, at least from this verse, and this will be one of those messages, sermons that keeps on keeping on. And, uh, uh, but first thing I want you to see is this. Notice that what we have in the verse is a prerequisite redemption. A prerequisite redemption. First of all, see who he is addressing in verse 12. He says, uh, my beloved. An indicator that he is speaking to the bride of Christ. Who is the bride of Christ? Well, that is all who have trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior, period. Someone who has come to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Those who are of the family of God through salvation. Note, first of all, what it does not say. He does not say this. Work for your salvation. Some will try, try to twist it. Some will try to change it. Say, oh, look, he's talking about a works-based salvation. Not at all. If he was, he would say, work for your salvation. It's not what he's saying. He's not saying work at your salvation. He's not even saying work up to your salvation. Not at all. It's a fact. Did you catch what he said? He said it is already yours. Notice the statement. He makes this, this statement. Work out your own salvation. You own it. It's yours. It's already in your possession as we might say. 
And yet he is talking to believers, which makes or gives us a prerequisite that you are redeemed, that you have trusted in Jesus Christ. Because here's a simple reality and a simple truth uh, that even the youngest here could probably derive from this verse. You can't work out something that you don't have. You can't work out something you don't have. Now, here's the good news. You can get it this morning. You can be saved this morning. It's a prerequisite. He says, listen, if, you're gonna, if the rest of this verse is going to apply to you, friend, you need to make sure and of a surety that you are saved, that you have salvation, that you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and that when you enter eternity, you aren't going to spend eternity in hell paying the price for your sin, which is death, spiritual death, separation from God for all of eternity, but rather you've trusted in the work of Jesus Christ who's already paid the price. You've trusted him. In John 3, 16, it, be, it begins it and ends it, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have ownership, possession, everlasting life. May I encourage you today, if you've yet to trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, my friend, do not leave without settling it. Make sure you're redeemed today. Make sure you're a child of God. This verse is addressed accordingly. And so make sure you today listen, you, you receive, and you believe. But certainly as we understand that, this then takes it a step further. May we say we see the other side of the coin. See, it isn't just Paul here in Philippians as he writes to the church of Philippi, but there's other passages in the New Testament that present this to us. And, and please understand, this is what Paul is getting at. James said it well, and this is what he said. He said in James chapter 2 in, in verse 17 there, Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. See, James is saying the same thing as Paul in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, establishing this truth. And if you miss this, please do not miss this, because this is crucial. He establishes this truth. True salvation can only produce good works. True salvation always produces fruit. It, it, it will always do that. That's what salvation is. Now, sometimes we can, we got to be careful because, yes, we want people to get saved. But that, my friend, is only part of the story. That's only part of the goal. We cannot get so focused on salvation that we forget discipleship. That we forget that people are, are saved to serve and to be sanctified and to produce fruit. See, salvation is wonderful. It is necessary. It is needed. But... It's like chapter one of a good book. It's just the beginning of the journey. And my friend, that is the thrust of even this passage. So if you're saved this morning, praise God. Good news. But you're in chapter one. And now it's time to move on to chapter two and three and chapter four and chapter five of the Christian life. Producing good fr fruit, good works. That's really what Paul alludes to here because he says this of those gathered in Philippi. So number one, there is a prerequisite redemption. They are saved. They've trusted in Christ. And yet this is what he says. Notice that he presents to us the reality that from his perspective, they have a professed reliability. Professed reliability. He, he pays them a good compliment in the beginning of this verse. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed. Man, what a statement. Isn't that great? They have obeyed. Wouldn't you love to be able to say that about your children? Yes, my children, they always obey. 
Yeah, right. That'd be great to say, wouldn't it? Paul says that these are his spiritual children. You have always, man, that is a great compliment. That is something to be said wonderfully. Not just in one situation. Yeah, they obeyed, uh, I believe it was uh, three months ago. Yeah, there was a day they obeyed. That's not what he's saying. They always obeyed. And so let's take it for what it is. That's a pretty impressive statement. They've always obeyed. This is their reliability to saying, listen, not only have I trusted in Christ, but I've obeyed. And and may I tell you, uh, as he describes them as being reliable because they faithfully obeyed what he had taught them in the Lord. He saw it personally in his presence. That's what he says. When I was around you, man, I watched you. You you were obeying. You did right. And boy, that's good. Well done is really what he is saying to them here. It's a great compliment. It's a great characteristic. Why? Because here's the reality. What he says is what we just talked about. You know what the Christian life is easily described as? Trust and obey. Trust and obey, as the song says. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to show that you believe. So that is the Christian life. You say, Pastor, boy, what the Christian life down is? Trust and obey. Walking by faith. Obedience incorporated into it. That's what he says here. Now, let's grasp this, and let's allow someone else in the New Testament to speak a little bit to this. Let's garner someone else's voice on this subject. And you say, this, that's a weird verse to bring up right here, Pastor. But listen to me carefully. Notice what Peter says. First Peter chapter number 3 and verse 1. He says, likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. That's not what I'm focusing on, okay? That if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wise. Say, what in the world does that have to do with Philippians chapter 2 verse 12? Understand. Notice what Peter does there. Peter equates something with something else. In other words, if we're talking equation, he says this equals this. Here's what he says. Those that don't obey the word equal someone that needs to be, three-letter word, one. See that? They don't obey the word. It equals somebody that needs to be one, and we could fill in the blank or fill in between the lines there, one to Christ. Someone who is unsaved is someone who does not obey the word. Now listen, we've been in school before. If he makes that statement, the next natural statement is what? He that obeys the word is someone who is saved. Unbeliever doesn't obey the word. Believer obeys the word. Throughout the New Testament, the idea of being a Christian isn't just that you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ because there's obedience and salvation. Yes, that's there. But my friend, you know what is the ongoing characteristic of a believer, a Christian? They obey the word. They obey the word. Paul looks at the church of Philippi and says, listen, you have done well. You, you have done well, beloved. You have trusted in Christ, and you have obeyed him. And when I'm there, I'm watching you, and, and you're taking the word of God, and you're putting it into practice, and, and you're obeying it. You are doing well. You are reliable uh, spiritually, if we might put it that. Put it that way. See, Peter would tell you that to be or to claim to be a Christian and not obey the word of God is inconceivable to him. Peter's like, I, I can't fathom that. Why? 
how could someone claim to be a Christian and not obey the word of God? How can someone say they're saved and there's no fruit and there's no production? As James says, you know, faith without works is dead. There's no good works. How, how can someone claim to be saved and, and there's no production of it? That's literally what, what Peter's saying. Listen, to obey the word is, is a believer. That's natural. It ought to easily be and should always be together. And so Paul says that of the church at Philippi. He says they had demonstrated a faithful submission to God in the area of obedience. And it does beg this question of us this morning. If we are here to meet with God, to grow in Christ's likeness, then we ought to ask this question. Am I like the church of Philippi? After being saved, and I now turning my attention and my energy towards obedience. Is that my goal and my desire in life that, okay, I want to grow. I want to be found like these at, at Philippi that I always obey. Or at least the desire and the intent and the attempt is present. Paul is saying they have done well. Now don't miss it, he says, and calls them to continue. And yet in this continuing, he says, I want you to grow. I want you to press on in the maturation process. I want you to be mature in this Christian life. Can I tell you one of the joys, and this may be a selfish joy of the, uh, of the parenting, but one of the joys of being a parenting is when your children grow up and mature and can take on more responsibility. Isn't that a delight, parents, when you can trust them to do things? And it can start young when they can go to the potty themselves when they can dress themselves, when they can feed themselves, when they can run the lawnmower. Woohoo! Uh, when they can drive themselves around, when they can take on personal responsibility, where they can do some things. And I'll tell you, one of the great joys is when your children get older and they are mature is that you can leave them alone somewhere and you can not just hope, but you can trust they'll do the right thing in your absence. In other words, you can leave the house and, and you can trust. You know what? When I get home, the house won't be burnt down. That's a good thing. Or there won't be a kid stuck to the wall with duct tape. An annoying sibling. That's a good thing. I can trust them. They, they have grown up in maturing, maturation, that when I'm not present, when I am absent, they'll do the right thing. Do you realize what Paul's saying in this verse? He's saying the same thing. He's saying that hey, you've done great obeying when I've been around in my presence, when I'm, I, I was there teaching you things, and, and you've done well, but my desire is for you to mature in Christ. My desire is for this trusting and obeying to, boy, continue to grow in many ways. In fact, yeah, the, 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 the statement we would say is this, uh, of someone who is mature, they will do the right thing. They will be obedient to what is asked of them in his absence. That's his desire. That's what he wants of them. Literally looking for them to take upon themselves something that Paul desires of the believers there in Philippi, and certainly something that God desires in each one of us, that is a maturity, and that is a maturity that embraces, don't miss it, because here's the thrust of the verse. It embraces this, personal responsibility. So there's a prerequisite redemption, and he says there's a professed reliability. You've been faithful, you've obeyed well, now I'm pushing you onward to personal responsibility. I will not always be there to hold your hand, is what Paul is saying. 
You need to be able to stand on your own two feet spiritually. You need to be obedient to God in, in your own choice and your own doing. Oh, you've been obedient in my presence, he says, and yet now I want you to continue and increase when I'm not there looking over your shoulder while I'm absent. You say, well, okay, what's his motivation for that? Well, did you catch what is the first word of verse 12? Wherefore. As we often say, you, when you read therefore or wherefore, you ask why, what it's there for. What's he referring to? Well, he's saying, wherefore, look at this and follow the example. What example is he talking about? Look at verse number 5, if you will, with me. Philippians chapter 12, verse number 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became, what's the next word? Okay, that was good. I think we got 30%. Let's try that again. Okay, what's, what's the next word? Being found in fashion as man, he humbled himself and became obedient, right? Obedient. The same thing that Paul was saying in Philippians chapter, 12, verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 12. Obedience. You obey. And he says, listen, Christ, the Son of God, was obedient. And so you and I as a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, need to follow the shining example of Jesus Christ and be obedient. What does verse number 8 say? He was obedient unto death. Now listen, I'm not here to challenge you to say, hey, be obedient unto death. No, that's not the point. The point was this. What was God's plan for Jesus Christ? That he should come, live a perfect life, and that he should go to the cross of Calvary and do what? Die. Be crucified. Shed his blood for your sins and for mine. Now get it, don't miss it. When he said he was obedient unto death, you realize what he was saying? He was obedient to the will and the plan of God for him. Was that not God's plan? His, his will, the plan set before Jesus Christ, that he would die on the cross of Calvary for your sins and mine. And I don't know about you, but I sure am thankful this morning that Jesus Christ was obedient. He obeyed. And so Paul says, listen, if Christ does this and he is our perfect, the shining example for what and who we are as Christians, you and I need to follow that example. Be obedient. Take up personal responsibility and say, ah, I am a believer. I am to trust and obey. Can we go back to the illustration? You know what the whole point of Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12 is? If you are saved, you ought to be showing your work. There ought to be fruit. There ought to be this growth, this obedience that you can point to. Say, listen, yeah, I am saved, and boy, here is the proof. Not just, certainly, yes, uh, reality of, of salvation by faith through grace. Yes. The fact is this. What does true salvation always produce? Good works and fruit. Show your work. Christian, show your work. Yes, when you're at church, but when you're absent from the presence of other Christians, show your work. Show your work. Take personal responsibility. Notice what it is, and he uses Jesus Christ as the measuring stick, and this way he would say this, he's obedient to the plan for him to die for our sins. And you and I, too, have a plan from God for our lives. 
that we are to be obedient likewise. To him likewise, sorry. We're to be obedient to him. To that, a will and plan that we are to be obedient to. So are you? Are you as faithful and obedient as Christ was to the plan and will of God for your life? Start challenge to each of us. So where and how specifically does he want that to show up? In other words, what is that plan? Well, the plan is for them in Philippi, for you and I to show our work. It is a call to live out the inner transformation that God has graciously granted us. And the first key statement is this. Don't miss it. He says, our own salvation. It is a personal salvation. It is a personal call to work it out. It's not the job or responsibility of someone else. Christian, it is your personal responsibility to work out your salvation. It it, it is no one else. It's not your mom, it's not your dad, it's not some fellow believer, it's not a pastor, it's not a deacon, it's not a Sunday school teacher. You are to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We'll talk about that in a moment. That's my responsibility as a believer. That's your responsibility as a believer. It is personal. No one else can do it for you. It's a personal call to obedience and working out your own salvation. You know what cracks me up? As a teacher... When I taught in many, 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 many moons ago, there were times that I could tell that a parent did their students' work. Any of you want to confess right now? You Okay, just, just kidding. Don't do that. It's funny because you're like, ain't no way this kid did this. The writing would always give it away sometimes. Isn't that funny? Yeah. Hey, a parent did their work because they wanted to do the grade and, and whatever. They the parent did the work. Now listen to me. Hey. Can I tell you, in the Christian life, no one else can do your work. It is a personal responsibility to work out your salvation. We may want you to, we may desire, we might love to do it for you if we could, but I cannot work out your salvation. Now as a preacher of the word of God, as, a, as the voice of God, the privilege it is, I can give you all the tools, I can tell you what God said, but my friend, it's up to you. It's up to me. You can't do it for me. It's up to you. You've got to work out your salvation. You've got to say, okay, I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to follow God and do this. I love this term, and don't miss this. Uh, This is a tremendous truth from this passage here. You see, it it is personal. It is our own responsibility. It's mine. I've got to own up to it. It's my responsibility. And so, uh, my friend, if you're here and you have children that have gone away from the Lord and you feel like they're not working out their salvation, pray for them, love them, encourage them, exhort them, but we understand that they have to make a decision for themselves. They do. They have to say, that's my responsibility. Yes, I've been saved. And, and it doesn't matter if things haven't gone well at home or they have. It doesn't matter if life has been difficult. It really doesn't matter. My responsibility, if I've trusted in Christ, is now to obey. It is a personal responsibility. Now, may I also say this, and I hope you understand this truth. I love the statement here. He says to work out your salvation. Well, what does that mean? It literally is. In fact, the word has this meaning, and it was even, some say, used in secular writings to describe the act of mining. Great illustration. Picture it with me, if you will. 
You say, you're there and you have the rights and ownership to a gold mine. It's in your name. You have possession of it. The gold mine is yours and it's full of immeasurable value, immeasurable worth and wealth. It's truly a great treasure. But enjoy its full impact and value in your life. You must work the mine. You must work the gold out of the mine, as they would say. You will need to work to get it out. One has aptly put it this way, and I think this is a great statement. In fact, I would maybe encourage you, if you're writing your Bible, you write this next uh, uh, Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12. It's this, I have to mine what is mine. I have to mine what is mine. I've got to work it out. Literally, I have the greatest gift in salvation. Now do you realize that in now today, while I'm here on earth, it's my responsibility to work it out. To see my salvation, that is a guaranteed thing. I'm going to heaven. Christ has saved me. Now I can't wait to see it impact my life today. You know how it impacts your life today, friend? Through obedience to God and his word. I mine it out. Hey, I'm saved. Praise God, I have the greatest gift. But now it's my job to live it out, to work it out, to mine it out in my life. And my friend, you'll see every blessing that God has ever promised. That's what he calls the church at Philippi to do. Man, that's a great truth, friend. You've already been obeying. Praise the Lord. You've trusted and and you, you have salvation. You've started to obey in my presence. But now, every day of your life, privately, publicly, in the presence of others, in the absence of others, obey, obey, obey. Take up personal responsibility. See, the fact is this, and so many miss this truth. Understand it this morning salvation is not stagnant, it's not complacent. Saved person is not to be sitting around doing nothing, letting the chips fall where they may. A saved person is to get up and go to work. I love what Paul, more importantly, God says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. We know verses 8 and 9, they, they are stupendous. They are salvation, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And then he says this, don't stop there, Christian. That's just chapter one. Move on to chapter two, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. And may I just say, you can say walk. It means to work too. Work towards good works, producing that fruit. We live in a society that loves shortcuts. We love the microwave. We love ways to get around things. Cliff notes for those who knows what they are. We love the ability. To, can I tell you, in the Christian life, there are no shortcuts. You need to work out your own salvation. You need to obey. You need to take God's word and allow it to be the will and guidance of your life in every way possible. Every believer is to do all he can to work out what is his. You own it. It's yours. God has given to you. It's a free gift. Your salvation. Paul says having the right attitude is crucially important too, isn't it? He says this, what? With fear and trembling. Now, that's a great statement, huh? We know what fear and trembling is, and I think there's a couple ways that this is seen and certainly plays out throughout the Scripture, so you can take it either of these two ways. But the first idea is this, fear and trembling. Don't miss it. I think this is crucial. It's the idea that you and I need a little anxiousness and nervousness to us. 
a humble awareness of our own weakness. Uh, a fear of sin and its terrible cost that keeps us on our toes spiritually. Literally, it's the idea that, that I, you know, I don't want to get this wrong. I, I want to do this right. I, I want to do the right thing. I, I want this to play out like it's supposed to, and I don't want to mess it up at all. It's an anxiousness, a fear and trembling that, man, if, I, if I'm not doing the right thing, then, boy, sin's going to come in my life, and it's going to mess up everything. And, boy, I don't want that. It's how I'm living my life pleasing to God. Is it, is it the right thing? That's literally what he sees in fear of trembling. There's an anxiousness, a nervousness, a realization that I'm weak. In my flesh there dwelleth no good thing. And boy, I, I want to make sure that every step I take is in accordance with what God wants in obedience to his perfect will and way. Of recent, Erica has been doing a great job with our, our children and teaching them how to cook and things. She's a great cook, and so she's teaching them, and it's funny watching them when they start to uh, listen to her and work with her in the kitchen, and they're following a, a recipe, and, and, and some of them get so nervous and so anxious because, you know what, you don't want to mess up cookies, amen? You want to get the right amounts of sugar and everything else in there. And so, boy, they get so anxious and nervous. Am I doing it right? Do I have the right measurement? Am I doing this right? Am I, did I pour in too much? Oh, no, did I mix it too early? And just some nervousness and anxiousness about, I don't want to mess this up because I don't want somebody to bite that cookie and go, ugh. I, I don't want the end product to be bad. I, I don't want to mess it up in any way. And, and they are, in a sense, don't miss it, aware of their own weakness in cooking. May I submit to you that all of us could use a little fear and trembling in our working out of our own salvation? A concern and anxiousness that we get it right? A fear that this past week, man, I, I sure hope that I, I lived in such a way that pleased him, that whether I ate or drank or whatever I did was to the glory of God, that, that I didn't mess up obedience. And boy, Lord, if I did, show it to me this morning. Help me this next week. I, I don't want to go another day in which I'm not obedient to you. May I submit to you that ought to be the heart attitude of every believer. If I'm working out my own salvation, I am fear and trembling. Did I get it right? Lord, I'm going to get in your word, and I'm going to be so sensitive to the Holy Spirit that, that I don't want to miss what you have for me, and I, I don't want to take a misstep, and I don't want to be disobedient in anything. I fear too often that we are, do not have this fear and trembling attitude. We don't have a fear that is characterized by our own acknowledgement of our inherent spiritual weakness and a good recognition of the power of temptation to stray and mess it up. May I submit to you, we need a good dose of self-distrust, a sensitive conscience, and being on guard 24-7 against temptation. That attitude of fear and trembling that should accompany our working out of our salvation. And yet, you know what I find, even in my own life, that we as Christians are sometimes indifferent we subscribe to a K-sera-sera mentality of living the Christian life, working out our salvation. Whatever will be, will be, as opposed to doing it with fear and trembling. This obedience to God and His commands and will, our attitude is lacking. It's not how we are to live the Christian life. That we are called to obediently work out our salvation. It ought not to be an absent-minded, lackadaisical foray through life. We should approach life with fear and trembling, ensuring, fearing, making sure that we're doing it right according to God's Word. And so may I ask you this morning, what is your attitude about working out your salvation? 
What was your attitude this last week? Did you go through it fear and trembling? Lord, I don't want to make a mistake. I want, I want to follow your word and I want to obey you and glorify you and everything. I, I want to be obedient, Father. Did you have that fear, that anxiousness, that nervousness, that, that, I mean, I just want to get it right. I don't want to mess up. Can I challenge you today? If you don't have that attitude, pray for it. Get back to it. Ask God to work in your heart saying, Lord, I, I don't want to be lackadaisical. I don't want to be indifferent. I want to be found obedient to you and your word. I want to have to do it with fear and trembling. There's another way to take this statement. Both are good and apply biblically, and so that's why we apply them here. But the fact is this, there can be much fear and trembling in life when we attempt and strive to do right, to be obedient. See, the Bible says for us, and we know it well, yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You know it. I don't need to tell you this morning, but I'll simply remind you, life is not a bed of roses. It's full of trials. It's full of pain and hurt and tragedy, disease, accident, loss, temptation, sin, evil, corruption, and death. Every human being experiences these things before we come face to face with death. And yet the reality is it is especially true for every true believer. As you strive to live godly, you're going to suffer even more than those who have not trusted and obeyed. And then you throw on top of that, we have some very capable and ample enemies in our flesh, the world and the devil, that don't want to see us working out our own salvation. They don't want to see you maturing in the absence of your Savior. They don't want to see you doing right in the absence of Jesus Christ, as Paul desired for the believers at Philippi in his absence. My friend, these enemies, they're going to oppose you. We quickly realize that in this working out of our own salvation, there are no shortcuts, and there are plenty of enemies, those who would oppose us. So this fear and trembling, we, hey, you know what? This isn't going to be easy. As I work out my salvation, there'll be even other people who are against me who, who don't want me to be so rigid. They don't want me to be so committed and dedicated to obeying, obeying God, a, a servant, a, a slave to Jesus Christ, a doulos, a, a one who obeys the master and everything. There'll be even other people who don't want that on top of the flesh and, and the world and Satan. There'll be those who oppose me. Paul said this, didn't he? He wrote, I have fought the good fight. Christian life's a fight? Yeah. It's work. It's mining. You've got to mine out your salvation. You, you've got to work at it. You've got to fight. It's going to be hard work working out your, your salvation with the right out, uh, attitude. But we are called to just do it. Do it. Be obedient. You may not care for it, and I get it, and, but in boxing circles, when a boxer retires, he determines that he's no longer going to fight. There's a statement made about him. They will often say this, he has hung up his gloves. Now, I want to ask you something, Christian, in all seriousness. Paul said, I, I fought the good fight, speaking of the Christian life. May I ask you, have you hung up your gloves too early?
Have you stopped fighting? Have you stopped working out your salvation? Or maybe even worst case scenario, the fact is this, you never picked up your gloves. Yes, you've been saved, but it's been a case, sirrah, sirrah, lackadaisical, indifferent attitude about working out your salvation, producing fruit and, and good works, and reality and truth be told, you've never picked up your gloves. You never said, I need to go mining. I, I need to work it out in my life. And I just simply put it in two statements as we go into our time of invitation for you and I to consider this morning to be challenged by the Holy Spirit. Number one, have you stopped working out your own salvation? Stop literally showing your work in this life. Have you stopped? Have you hung up the gloves? See, today is not only a good day to be saved, but friend, I'll tell you, today is a good day to start working out your salvation. If you have yet to commit and dedicate and surrender yourself to saying, you know what, God has a plan for me, and I want to be obedient to God's plan for me, just like Jesus Christ was obedient to the plan for him, I want to be obedient to that. I'm not going to stop. I'm going to pick up those gloves, and I'm going to go to work. I'm going to get in there and mine what is mine. I'm going to allow my salvation to play out. I'm going to live out that transformation that Jesus Christ has already done in my life. I'm going to live it out. And then secondly, may I ask you this? You say, yeah, I'm doing that, Pastor, but my attitude isn't the best. Is your attitude one of fear and trembling? You're working hard to get things right spiritually in your life? How is it for you, believer? Paul writes to the church of Philippi, I think you and I can take much from it, be challenged in many ways, and I'll tell you, the day is coming in heaven when you and I can hang up the gloves. But that day is not yet. My friend, work out your salvation. Do it with the right attitude. Father, I thank you for your word. Grateful for the challenge that it is to my own heart and to the hearts of these, my brothers and sisters. Lord, I pray that we would take it to heart this morning i pray that we would not absent-mindedly lackadaisically approach this christian life I, I pray that in the free gift of salvation lord we realize that we are safe that we are guaranteed of heaven because of faith and trust in jesus christ and yet you have said in your word that faith is going to produce and yet father we may have gotten a little tired we may have gotten a little weary in well-doing this morning. Lord, I pray for every Christian here that you would speak to them right now during this prayer and this invitation. For some who have dropped the gloves and maybe never picked them up, Lord, I pray that they'd make the decision this morning, that they would make the commitment, they'd surrender this morning to picking up the gloves. They would work at working out their salvation. Father, I pray for some whose attitude has been right in this area. They've been content to be saved and then just go through life as it is. Whatever will be, will be. And Father, I pray that you would convict us. Certainly there are times in each of our lives, Father, where we can give in to that. Lord, may we confess that, forsake it. And may we have an attitude of fear and trembling. May we desire with an anxiety and a nervousness to get things right to do right, to be found to be obedient always in your presence and in your absence. Lord, I pray that you would grow your church. You would mature us. 
bring us into the very likeness of Jesus Christ. And when it all is all said and done, the time comes for us to hang up our gloves, my Father, I pray we be able to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servants. Lord, help us now in this invitation to make